0: Okay, so uh, last year and anytime Brad, uh, Brad Chad was absent, um, we had um, we went through when I taught we taught on the Bad Boys of the Bible and we ended that back in December, I believe. So we're starting a new study for um, this year or for however long we'll be in this study. Uh, the times that Chad may be out of town or maybe uh, unable to be here for whatever reason. So uh, anyway, so today in his absence, uh, we'll, we're going to begin a study um, in the Old Testament on uh, some of the places in the Old Testament, some of the Bible valleys. Um, I think we did a study many years ago on this, and so this is a good reminder. And today's study is probably one of my very favorite passages in the Old Testament. Um, I love this passage, um, even though it's kind of negative, but it ends up with, with some good things also. But we learned some lessons as we study today. Um, this is going to be about the Valley of Eshcol. We're going to look today in the book of uh, Numbers uh, records uh, this event, and it's also referenced in some other places, but um, Numbers chapters 13 and 14 is what we'll look at today mostly and um, look at um, the children of Israel. So today as we look at the Valley of Eshkol, the Bible says in chapter uh, 13 of Numbers in verse 2, if you'll go with me there to Numbers 13, look at verse 1 and verse 2. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I will give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their father shall you send a man, everyone a ruler among them. So at this point, Israel had already been, the children of Israel had been delivered from bondage in Egypt. <clears throat> God had brought them through. Uh, when He opened the Red Sea, and of course you remember Pharaoh's army chased after them, and the Bible says the sea closed and drowned Pharaoh's army. Uh, but... Um, They had been brought through the Red Sea. God had delivered them and he had already given uh, the law to Moses and uh, so forth. And so because of that, much of the law um, would apply once they got into the promised land. There was a, you know, God gave them a promise way back under Abraham that they would have a land that he would give to them. And so... um, Uh, Through Moses, he told him, I want you to go out into the land and I want you to go and look. Send from every tribe, all 12 tribes, send one man as a representative. And so they were to go in and check out the land and see what it looked like. See, God can tell us things um, in his word and we're to take them by faith. And so they were to do that. But God wanted them to see also with their own eyes because, see, this is a physical land they were going into and so the day we live in, we live in a day where we, we trust God by faith, as they trusted God by faith, but we have to walk by faith, not by sight. And so the blessings that we enjoy as believers in Jesus Christ are spiritual blessings. But it's wonderful to see the parallel. It's wonderful to see the comparison of the promised land physically that they were to go, or they were to go in, they were to take that land, they were to live there. God, He had promised it through Abraham way back. And then the promises we have as is, is God's children that are spiritual promises in the New Testament. So there's some, we can apply that and there's some, some um, similarities there. So it says there they were to go into the land of Canaan. That's where he had uh, planned for them to go and be as a people to inhabit that land because they had been delivered from Egyptian bondage. And now as God's people, Old Testament people, that's where they wanted to be. This is a shot, modern day shot of uh, Canaan, of the region there of Canaan. And you'll see in just a moment a picture of the, the, what we'll call the Valley of Eschol with a brook that runs through it uh, called the Brook of Eschol. Well, you'll see it as a part of this shot here, a little bit, um, little bit closer in. But anyway, this is a modern-day view of Canaan, what it uh, looks like now. Uh, but when they went into it, uh, it was not quite as barren as it looks now. It's more barren there, and uh, it was a lot more fruitful, and we'll see that as we go into our study. So the Bible says... Um, uh, they would go into the land of Canaan. We saw that. Look with me at verse number 23 of chapter 13. Then we're going we're gonna to come back and look at some other places here in chapter 13. That's mostly where we're going to be today. It says in verse 23 of chapter 13, And they came unto the brook of Escol, E-S-H-C-O-L, uh, and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes uh, they bear between two upon a staff. We'll come back to just, in that in just a moment. But here it's called, they come into the brook of Escol. That is, there's is a brook uh, that was running through there, and that water that came through it made the, made the land plentiful, and gave it plenty of water for fruit from the trees and so forth, uh, for them to be able to enjoy once they got there. Um, and then in Numbers 32, verse 9, we see the where it's called the Valley of Eskel. So that's what we're looking at today is this Valley of Eskel and and look at some things about that today. So here is a little closer shot. This would be the valley. And obviously you can't really see um, a brook now. You can't really see. You see a little bit of water. Uh, maybe they're in the back, and but there's not the brook flowing that there was flowing in that day. So over time, that land has changed, and it's not the fertile place that it was. Had they gone in and stayed there, it probably would have stayed that way, but it was is not. So we see there that there's some greenery there, but it's not as fertile as it's described if they had taken it. And we know the end of the story. They, they didn't. They were disobedient. But that's what we want to look at today. So verse 1 and 2, we already read that it said that there, were to, there was to be one man for all 12 tribes of Israel. Go back with me to verse 2 again, and then we're going to skip down verse 17 to 20. Look at verse 2. It says, of, um, of every tribe of their fathers, ye shall send a man, every one a ruler among them. Skip down to verse 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain. So they were to go up into the mountain, look over the valley, and then go down into the valley. They were to overlook and see the beauty of that time, what it looked like. So it says that they were sent to spy it out. They went to check it out. They went to see um, what they would face as they got to that place. Um you know, God doesn't always show us the things we're going to face when we get in through some valleys of our life. We, we, get, we don't see it till we get there. But he gave them the privilege of going in and looking from the mountain view to look down. I want you to see. So a valley is a place between two mountains, basically. So they were on a mountain to look down in that valley to see. So they were sent to spy out to report. We left off of verse 17. Pick up at verse 18. And see the land. What it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. So when God told them to go before they went to spy, he said, look, there's already people living there. And go see what it's like. How many there are. Are there a few? Are there a lot of them? There are people living there, and you're to go into the land. Verse 19, and the land, what it is, they dwell in, whether it be good or bad. And what cities they be, they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, of course, that's a, you know, mental picture of what's, you know, of plenty or, or little. Whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe, first ripe grapes. And that last sentence may seem like it's just an afterthought, but it isn't. We'll see in just a moment um, the practicality of that. So they're sent out to spite out. And to report, come back to Moses and give him a report and let him know what they saw, what they found. Pick up at verse 21 to 25. Now, this was a 40-day assignment. So they went up, searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men come to Hamath. And they ascended by the south and came into Hebron where Ahaman, Shishiah, and Talmiah, the children of Anak, were there. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Now, we see in the Scripture in other places, and we'll see in this also, that the children of Anak were giants. Um, we remember also one of the descendants of the Philistines, uh, Goliath, where David later fights in a valley. Also, we'll look at that in the future, um, where he fights him in a valley. And he's a giant, stood at least 9 feet, probably close to 10 feet tall. So these, these people were huge. They're called the children of Anak, and you find out through references that they're giants, all right? Uh, now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Keep reading verse 23. And they came into the brook of Eshkel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, And they that bear bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. And the place was called the Brook of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. So they're sent to look and spy this land. And and, uh, it's the Valley of Eshcol, but that's called the Brook. And it points out that that brook is where the The trees got their, you know, got the water they needed and got the nourishment, and that's why it was so plentiful. Uh, In fact, uh, we'll see in just a moment about those grapes, the the how how many there were. So uh, the the land was uh, was abundant; it was plentiful. But there were children of Anak there. There were those who were descendants that were heathen. So in the Old Testament, there are several places we have to remember when we study the Bible, and there are people today who are. Uh, where, they, where they, they're, they're not taught the Bible and they don't understand and don't, don't realize um, what, what, why would God have them destroy out these other nations for Israel to move in? Well, these nations, when you study them from way back before the flood and flood after the flood even, these nations were heathen nations. They worshipped idols. They worshipped false gods their false worship, much of which in, included uh, sacrifices of children to their false gods. It was horrible. And so God wanted them to go and you wipe them out, and I want you to take the land. The Bible says they had 40 days to look at this land. They had 40 days to, in their assignment to spy it out, search it out. It wasn't that they just were one day and come back. It wasn't even a week of vacation. It was 40 days that they looked over the land. They were able to see. First from the mountain, they look from the top, they look at the big picture. Then they were able to go into the land itself and look and see. We know they did because we see where they brought back fruit. So for 40 days, they spend time looking over and searching in that land. They had the proof of blessings that they could enjoy. The Bible says in verse 23, we read, and they came up to the brook of Eshcol, cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and bear between two upon a staff. One cluster of grapes. You go into a grocery store, and you get a cluster that's, you know, we think that's a pretty good size, size of a football, roughly, or something like that, sometimes a little smaller. But these were so, these grapes were so big, that cluster was so big, that it took two men with a great big staff, a great big stick branch, and tied it on there to be able to bring it back. It took two men. One man couldn't do it himself. And then it mentions also the figs, the pomegranates, the other fruit that they brought in and looking at that. Now, with, with, with that, I would think that people would get excited. Hey, there's some, looks like some really good food there that will sustain us, some good fruit that will sustain us and besides all our other, our cattle and everything else. So we'll, we'll be able to uh, enjoy this land. So they had proof of blessings to enjoy. But they also knew the reality of facing their enemies. Scripture says, we saw there in the verse, um, that there were the children of Anak there. There were descendants of uh, giants that were, were heathen people. They knew the reality of facing the enemies. Verse 28 tells us, nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and, er- and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Now, so when you look at this map here, this is an Old, map, old Testament map, um, where it has uh, in around the different regions, it has where the different um, the, the different heathen uh, lived. So here we have um, here we have the Jordan River that, that comes out. Modern day now there would be Jerusalem right in here. Um, so we have the Jordan Jordan River here, and so the Amorites uh, were some of the enemies that dwelt over there. Um, the Moabites. This is Moab, the area of Moab. The Amorites. Remember. Um, In Genesis, not very pleasant to talk about, but in Genesis 19, we talked about Lot last year in one of our Sunday school classes, where uh, after uh, when God had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the only ones that fled the city and got out alive were Lot and his two daughters. And they went into the cave, they got their dad drunk, and as you know, read Genesis 19, it tells us they were both with child with their. Uh, from their dad. And the scripture says that one of them had a son named Moab, who's the father of the Moabites, and the other uh, had a son named Ammon, which was the father of the Amorites. And so those um, enemies of Israel from the time of, you know, right right at the time of Abraham, whenever Lot was delivered from the city, uh, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, from that point on, their descendants were constantly enemies of the nation of Israel. And then also you see on the left there, you see Philistines. That would include these children of Anak, these giants. Because remember Goliath, we, we look, uh, when you look, uh, talk about David later on in 1 Samuel, he was a giant and he was a Philistine and from these same descendants. So the Bible says there in verse 28, we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment actually. We kind of skipped ahead. That the people are strong and they're walled and they saw the children of Anak there. And when they heard that, they knew exactly what we're talking about. They're giants there. They're giants in the land. If we go into that land, we're going to have to face those giants. And so all this fruit and stuff, this is great. And the land was beautiful and it was very nice and beautiful. But we saw enemies there. So look at verse 26 to 33. This is is what happened after they come back with a report. 40 days, it says in verse 25. And then pick up at verse twenty six, and we'll read down to thirty three the rest of the chapter. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, and brought back the word. Brought back word unto them to all the congregation, show them the fruit of the land. So right off, the first thing it mentions, they bring in the report. They immediately show them. This is the fruit. This is what we saw. Verse 27, they told him, we said, we came unto a land where thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. There's, it's very plentiful. Verse 28, this is the deal breaker for them. This is where they, where faith began to go into the shadows here. They began to doubt God. Remember he told them, he said, be of good courage you go in there and you take the land. I want you to do that. In the early verses, but look what it says in verse 28. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell on the land. And the cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there, speaking of the giants. And then he gives a, whole, he gives a catalog list of several of them. The Amalekites dwell on the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell on the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea by the coast of Jordan. And, of course, the, the area was called Canaan. And so um, the the Canaanites, they they were spread out everywhere, all the way to the sea. Verse 30, and Caleb still the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb is one of my heroes of the Old Testament. I love Caleb. There was a spirit in him that was different from everybody else. He was one that knew that could be done. Because we trust God like he told us, and it can be done. We can do it. Um, Let us go up at once possess it. We're well able to overcome it, verse 31. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. God didn't say they wouldn't be stronger. God told them, you go in, I will be with you. You will destroy the enemy. He didn't say that they were stronger. He didn't have to tell them that. How strong they were or weren't didn't matter. God was on their side. God in our majority, just like God in you. Amen? He sure is, all right? Men that went up and said we're not able to go up, verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched to the children of Israel, saying, The land which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and they were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so, were they. We, so we were in their sight all the fruit, all the good stuff, the 40 days of searching out the beauty of this land. By the way, God said we can take this with his strength, with his help, we'll take this. Didn't matter. Didn't matter to them. Ten of them would not, just completely said we can't do this. There were only two that said we can. We can trust God and we can do it. This was another one of those cases. The majority was absolutely wrong. The minority was absolutely right, but they didn't go in. To the promised land. Let's look at this. When you are in the valley of Eschol in your life, ask yourself, first of all, do you have all the facts when you're facing a valley in your life? On Sunday mornings, in fact, this morning we're going to go back to looking at Job a little bit. When you're going through problems in your life, when you're going through a valley in your life, that's a good question to ask yourself. Do I have all the facts? Verse 18 to 20, when Moses sent them up under that mountain, he told them, look and see what the city's like. Look and see what the inhabitants are like. Are they strong or weak? Are there just a few of them or are there are a lot of them? Um, look at the land, what it's like. Look at the fruit of the land. What is it like? Um, and, and be of good courage, bring of the fruit of the land. So he, and, he told them, go in, I want you to look. Do I have all the facts? Well, they went in with some of the facts, but they got a lot of the facts mixed up. The things that um, he'd, they'd already been told, to look, these, these giants, here yeah, you're going to face them, but... God's going to give you victory. And so in looking at the facts, they discounted God's promises. They didn't listen to, to what God had to say. They they just looked at their own fears. So ask yourself, when you're facing a valley in your life, a valley of Esco, do I have all the facts? Number two, when you're in the valley of Esco, am I making this decision at the best time? The Bible says, and I said, like I said, this was not, I don't think this is an afterthought. The very last sentence in verse 20. And the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So as the grapes were beginning to be ripe, and it was probably in late spring, maybe early summer, uh, depending on when the grapes get ripe there uh, in, in uh, Canaan, uh, they were able to see uh, the fruit of the land. They were able to see it in its beginnings, the beauty of it. They were able to see the size of those grapes and how they produce on the, on the vine, and then the pomegranates and the, the, the figs. They were able to see all of that. Am I making this decision at the best time? Sometimes when you go through a valley and you're making a decision on, on uh, what you should do, um, am I making it the best time? Do I need to wait a little bit and trust God? Do I need to wait on him and, first of all, have all the facts? Am I making this at the right time? Third of all, look at verse 21 again. Ask yourself, when I go through a valley in my life, am I prepared for the obstacles? Verse 21 and 22, it talks about the enemies. Um, they, they went to the, um, the land. They searched, and they came where the... the um, it mentions uh, several names in the children of Anak. Let's look at verse 28 again. We, we read it a while ago, but let's read it again. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And they were right. They were strong. They, they're strong that dwell, dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and they were right about that and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. So they were giving their report, but they were focusing on um, the problem when God already said through Moses, be of good courage Go in there. Take the land. Am I prepared for obstacles? And we find out from these 10 that unbelief can be infectious. Unbelief. One or two people that are unbelieving, that are negative. We can't do this. We can't can't make it through this. We can't get through this valley. We can't go into the valley. Even though God said we can, all it takes is a handful for, for unbelief to set in. And so Um, they brought that report, and all the children of Israel listened to that. They didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. They listened to the report of the other ten that said, we can't do this, and so they were unable to enter into the promised land. We saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants, and were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. So imagine looking at a... You know, looking down, you looking at a grasshopper on the ground is very small. Some of them are smaller than others. Looking down on them, you see that in the hand there in the picture, the size of it. Well, they said, that's what we are to the giants. That's because they were wanting to face the giants by themselves. If you face a giant in your life by yourself, you're going to feel that way. If you face a giant with the power of God with the strength of God, with the wisdom of God, with his direction in your life, then you realize I'm not fighting this giant by myself. I'm not facing this giant on my own. Later on, again, David, as he faces Goliath, he realized this battle was uh, not just a battle between two armies or even these two people, David and Goliath. It was a spiritual battle. And so he knew that, and David had that kind of faith. So, um, But these children of Israel... Uh, they, they listened to the 10 that were negative and said, no, we can't do this. We're like grasshoppers. When you're in a valley of Eskel, chapter 13, verse 23 and 24, are you looking forward to the outcome? Do you realize that when you make, make it through that valley, that there will be a place of blessing that came to the brook of Eskel and it talks about the fruit, and it says there that they cut down the grapes and they were able to see that and physically see, touch with their hands, the fruit of the land. And enjoy that blessing just in looking at it. Am I looking forward to the outcome? To know, to expect, God's going to do something to this in my life. God is going to work in this, and uh, I can look forward to what he's going to do for me. Verse 25, have I taken the time to pray and think? Now, prayer is not even mentioned in this uh, passage. Verse 25, not at all. And they returned from searching the land after 40 days. But have, you, have I taken time to really pray about it and to think about as I go through this valley? Now, again, prayer is not mentioned, and I think partly because um, God had already spoke to Moses and told him what to tell the children of Israel. There's some things in life that you don't really have to pray about. Now, we should pray about everything, but some things in life should be automatic. We don't have to pray about them. Um, if God you know, wants us to, to open his word, we don't have to pray about that, Lord, should I read your Bible or should I not read your Bible? That's automatic. But this was something God had said through Moses, tell the children of Israel, tell these 12, tw- uh, 12 spies from each tribe to go in. I want them to look out the land. I want them to see everything and bring back a report to you, Moses. Forty in the Bible is a number of testing. They went for 40 days and and stayed there and looked at everything for, you know, a month and 10 days. They were there for 40 days. Forty is a number of testing in the Bible. Um, There was 40 days that the waters fell from the flood when when God told Noah to build the ark. Forty days and nights, the Bible says. Three men in Scripture, Moses... Elijah and Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 is a number of testing in Scripture. And so for 40 days after they brought back that report, you know, rather than those 10 that came back in doubt, that 40 days should have gave them great assurance from seeing it and for 40 days realizing God said we will have this land. He's going to give it to us. Have I taken time to pray and to think as I go through this valley? Verse 26 to 30, we read a while ago, have I asked for godly counsel? Have I sought counsel? The scripture says that among them, as they gave their report, uh, for time's sake, let's skip down to verse 30, and Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Let us go up, let us possess it, we're not just able to overcome it. We are well able to overcome it because God is going to be with them. And so have I asked for godly counsel? Here, Caleb, vocally, he gives some very wise counsel to them. Remember what God said. He told us we could do this. Remember what he said. Go with me to three Proverbs, and let's see what the Scripture has to say about seeking counsel. Now, when we see this in Scripture, counsel is not always somebody that you know, has a degree and sits behind a desk. Counsel can come from other brothers or sisters in Christ that maybe have gone through a similar experience. And so really in a way as Christians, we all are counselors to some degree because some of the things we've endured in our life, we've gone through some of the valleys that we've gone through in our life. We may have some information, we may have some truth to help someone as they're going through something similar. Proverbs 11 and verse number 14, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Imagine if all 12 of them said, we can do this. We can go in and take it. Then a good bit of the Old Testament wouldn't have to be written. They would have gone in and believing God, as he said. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And they, did, they didn't do that very thing. They should have heard the counsel that... That was given to them by Caleb, a man of faith. Proverbs fifteen, verse number twenty-two. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. And so uh, they went, you know, with the counsel they got that they received from the doubters that said, "We can't do this," and because of that, they never got, they never were able to go into the promised land. And we'll see that as we move on here in just a second. So, have I asked? For godly counsel as I go through this valley. And of course, verse 31, we've already talked about a good bit. Do I realize that there will be opposition? And God warned them of that through Moses. There are going to be giants there. There are going to be enemies there. When you go into the land, I want you to check them out. Are there many or few? And you can trust God and he'll get you through it. But often in the valley, we forget God's promises, don't we? Oftentimes, we're going through difficult. That's why we need to be in his word. That's why we need the wise counsel that we just talked about. So let's look at this. Chapter 14, verse 1 to 10. This is what happened. Right after verse 33. Let's, in fact, look, look at verse 33, and then let's go straight into chapter 14, verse 1. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come over the giants. We were our own side as grasshoppers. And so were we in their sight, verse 1 of chapter 14, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. The ten negative uh, uh, reports from these ten spies um, caused the children of Israel to to listen in in unbelief, not to believe when God had said. So they spent the whole night crying and weeping, verse 2. The children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, the whole congregation, and said unto them, would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness. They would rather go back to Egypt, or in the wilderness that they were uh, going through, they would rather go through all of that than to try to go as God had already gave them the promise, you can go and take this land. They had believed the ten. They said, we'd rather go back into Egypt. They remember what Egypt was like. They were in constant bondage under under Pharaoh. They had to work hard. At times they had to make bricks out of nothing, out of straw, make their own bricks. They went through bondage for years until God used Moses to lead them out. Sometimes in life, there are believers who they quit believing God about something. They're saved. They quit believing God. They go through a valley. God didn't come through for me on this. God disappointed me. And so they walk away from him. They walk away from walking with him in unbelief. They would rather go back to an old life, some of them, than to enjoy the blessings that God says, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just go forward with me, if you'll just uh, take my promises. Verse 3, wherefore, Hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? See what unbelief can do. And they said one to another, let us make a captain, let us return to Egypt. Make a captain? They had Moses and they had Aaron as the high priest. But Look what they say, verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were them that searched the land, rent their clothes. That was a, in those days. That was a sign of humility. That was a sign of great sorrow. And and uh, at times uh, that happened when someone had died, they would tear their clothes just out of sorrow and grief. Verse seven. They spake unto the com- all the company of the children of Israel, saying, "The land which we pass through to search it, it is an exceeding good land. And the Lord, if the Lord delight in us, He'll bring us into the land and give us a land." "...which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not." Verse 10, "...but all the congregation bade stone them with stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel." Blows my mind of what unbelief did in the minds of these children of Israel. They wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb, probably Moses and Aaron too, wanted to stone them with stones... Because their unbelief had brought them to that point. The sin nature of human beings. Even after a person's saved, folks, the sin nature of human beings. Skip down to verse 22 to 25. Because all those men which have seen my glory and all my miracles which I did in Israel in the wilderness and have tempted me, now these ten times have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear to their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoke me see it, but... Sometimes that little three-letter word is wonderful. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit within him and followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. So there's a promise he gives, verse 25. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. Tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. In other words, guess what? You're not going in the promised land. And a whole generation is going to die off with the exception of two people. Here he mentions Caleb, but later on we'll see that Joshua is the other because Joshua took over uh, after Moses died, and he did indeed lead them later into the promised land. But after that whole generation died, I must remember there will be consequences, good or bad. If I I walk in belief, there will be good consequences. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be great and everything happened great, but there will be consequences. For that, but if I disobey God and unbelief, there will also be consequences. Go over to chapter thirty-two, Numbers thirty-two, and this is the place where it's. Um, we saw Brook of Escol, but here we see it called the Valley of Escol. Numbers thirty-two, verse eight to thirteen, and Scripture says this: Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land talking about the land of Canaan. For when they went up into the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel and they sh- that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time. And he swears, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly Follow the Lord. W-H-O means completely. Verse 13. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. They missed out on the promise of God and then had to go a whole generation of 40 years in the wilderness on top of that. So they missed out on the blessing that they could have had as they faced the Valley of Eshcol. Frank Borum, who was a pastor... Back, uh, he was a pastor, he was in Australia and I think England and um, New Zealand back in the uh, late 18, to early 1900s. He said this, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. So they made their decision and then their decision turned around and made them, they ended up wandering in the wilderness. Jim Elliott, who was a missionary to the Aka Indians in Ecuador, um, he was martyred for his faith back in 19, I believe it was 56, somewhere in there. Um, martyred for his faith, uh, some of you may have read the works of um, or heard on the radio, She Died a Few Years Ago, his, his wife, Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliott. Um, anyway, Jim Elliott, he said this, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. God had the choice for them. He gave them the promise. He had the best for them. And yet they would not believe him. Uh, and in their unbelief, of course, they had their consequences. For further reading, Deuteronomy 1, verse 19 to 45 tells us a little bit more about that. So in the book of Joshua, we see that Joshua indeed enters the land. He goes in with that next generation. He's older now at this point, but he goes in with, with the next generation and enters into the land, just as God said right there, that except Joshua and Caleb, Caleb and Joshua, they were the only two that would go into the land of all that generation. Go with me to Joshua 14, with, and we'll close with this. I love this. What a man of faith. Caleb was just, he was a man of faith. And we see in Joshua chapter 14, we'll start at verse 6. And here they're um, they are going into the land in the book of Joshua, finally going into Canaan, and they're to divide it up by tribes. And uh, even that got messed up. The tribes were fighting amongst themselves and so forth. But they did go in. Remember uh, when Joshua, when God told Joshua, I want you to cross the Jordan River. And when he did, remember the river parted just like the Red Sea parted. And he crossed over, he and the priests and those on dry ground, the children of Israel went through. Um, I think God did that first of all to, to perform another miracle. But to remind them as they saw those waters parted, remember the generation before you. I parted the Red Sea. Now I'm parting this river uh, and you're going to go across it, and I want you to go into the land, to the promised land. So Joshua enters into it, but look at Caleb. I love this. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunai, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning thee, uh, me and thee, in Kadesh Barnea. In other words, it's been a few years, Joshua, and we're both getting older, and our memories may not be that great, so don't forget God made a promise to me, and he wanted you to make it good, Joshua. Pick up verse 7. Forty years old when I, uh, was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land and brought him word again as it was in my heart. He's relaying or a, 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 a re, uh, he, he's, he's describing everything that he did that day. Verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly, notice that's a W H wh, it means completely, I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swear on that day saying, surely the land where thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children forever because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years even since the Lord spake his word in the most, so he's eighty-five years old at this point, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and lo, I am now this, this day fourscore and five years, eighty-five years old. Yet As yet I am strong this day, as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. But thou heardest in the day how the Anakims were there, that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunai Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunai the Kenizzite unto this day because of the holy father of the Lord God of Israel. Look how many times that's said in there. In verse 15, And the name of Hebron before was Kirjath Arba, which with Arba was a great man among the Anakims. The land had rest from war. So when he moved in, he took over, destroyed the enemy, and he changed the name. He no longer had it named after the enemy. Now he named it Hebron. Now it had a brand new name. What a great man of faith. Everybody else may walk through in, in unbelief and doubt. I'm going to trust God. He trusted God and it took 40 years, but that promise came true. What a man of faith. Man of patience too. What a man of faith. He trusted God until God brought him in there, just as he said, destroyed the enemies just as he promised 40 years before had all the children of Israel gone in. Caleb said, look, God made a promise. Give me this mountain. Back uh, in the 80s, um, I was growing as a Christian. I remember uh, listening a lot at that time, almost every evening, um, listening to Charles Stanley. And uh, on, on, uh, back then, when WRAF had him, you know, from Tekoa. And I remember listening to him every evening. And I was listening one night, and he preached that very message. I ordered that tape. And I had it. I don't know. I've listened to that tape so many times. I almost memorized it. It was from this very thing. The name was. I think it was called uh, uh, "Give Me This Mountain" or something like that. And I listened to that thing till I almost memorized it. But I thought then, and it really stuck with me, and has through the years. What a great man of faith this man Caleb was. He believed God, and when the time came, all that generation they disobeyed. They walked in unbelief. Then they ended up in the wilderness as he did. But when the time came. God brought him through. He made it He made it safely. He made it right through the Valley of Eschol and trusted God, and God blessed him for it. So you can go back and read Deuteronomy 1, verse 19 to 45. It gives a little bit more about uh, the whole thing. So let's stop there. Any questions or anything before we close in prayer? All right, let's dismiss. We'll have a few minutes before service time. Thank you, Lord, for the day you blessed us with, the beauty of the day, and thank you, Lord, for the example uh, of These two men, Joshua and Caleb, who trusted you when everyone else said it couldn't be done, they trusted you. And uh, their faith was not in themselves. Their faith was in a great God that was greater than the enemy, that was greater than um, the effort it would take to go in and possess the land. And they believed you, where the other ten did not. And we saw that the unbelief of those ten went throughout the whole congregation of Israel. And they doubted, and they uh, never went into the promised land. They wandered many of them in the wilderness until they died. Thank you for the example of these two men, and uh, help us as we go through our Eskel, Valley of Eskel in our lives, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name for his sake. All right, let's close there. and